Uh, hey, good morning. My name is Prentice. Uh, for those of you that I've never met, I get the privilege to be lead pastor here. Uh, and I would love to meet you if we haven't met already. Welcome to our online community. For many of you that are uh, viewing from the comforts of your own home or wherever you might be, uh, we're so glad that you joined us. Uh, and again, if you are traveling and you're watching this throughout the week, I hope you had a wonderful vacation. I know that uh, summer is winding down. My wife Marie and I, we just got back from a backpacking trip uh, just last night. And so uh, I'm partly here. And so excuse me for uh, any, uh, anything that I say that, uh, well, anyways, I'm glad that I'm here. And I'm glad you're here. So good morning to you. Uh, to continue our community, community and a time to hang out, <clears throat> we all go to uh, Highland Park uh, Corner Store after this, so I really encourage you to join us there where we can not only support a uh, small business in our neighborhood uh, by buying a coffee, cup of coffee, uh, but to also just get to know each other better as well. Now, we are continuing this series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I know by now uh, that a lot of you have been reading up on the fruit of the Spirit and all the elements, and you have been practicing love and kindness and gentleness and peace and patience and goodness. Am I right? Yeah, okay, good. All right, because I haven't. And so uh, not in all aspects, so I'm glad that many of us collectively, we have been doing that. And so this morning, uh, we talk about this idea of gentleness. Like, what does it mean when, when Paul says, when you exude the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, a part of that is gentleness. When you live uh, in sync and uh, aligned with the ways of Jesus and the ways that God calls us to live, we can do nothing else but to exude gentleness. Uh, and uh, this one was a hard one because... Uh, the word gentleness, uh, and maybe your upbringing is similar to mine, but we are taught to actually avoid this word. And so we look at the life of Jesus, and we see that throughout the scriptures, Jesus not just talked about it, but embodied and manifested this idea of gentleness in his life. As a matter of fact, today's verse is going to be really simple. It's it really, yes, it's in Galatians, but uh, the, the verse that we're focusing on is in Matthew uh, 5, 5, and it's part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray, and we'll get started. God, thank you that you have called us to live a different life in a world that says power and winning in uh, greed and coming up on top is everything. God, you show us a different way. And so we thank you and teach us about what it means to be meek, to be gentle. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Now, maybe you can resonate with this, but uh, a few days ago, you know, my wife Maria and I were just sitting on the couch and we were kind of having our alone time in the same room. Uh, and <clears throat> I was you know, just scrolling on my phone and going on, looking at different social media platforms. And, and maybe this has happened to you before, but you're going through Facebook or whatever it is, and someone posts something that you may not fully agree with. And, and at that moment, when you scroll through and you see something you don't agree with, you have a choice. Uh, 
right? And there's really only two choices. You can respond and tell them how much you disagree, and I, and I think many of us have done that, or you can just scroll through and act as if you didn't see it. And, and at that moment, Maria was like, uh, hey, Prentice, you know, she was asking me something, and, and I was just like, hold on for a second, because I'm about to light this guy up, all right, for saying something that it's so absurd, And as I was typing, I'll never forget what Maria says. She says, in a very simple and quiet way, she says, Prince, you know you don't have to do that, right? You don't have to respond. And I thought that, and I thought that was so profound, because oftentimes when we're going through social media, whatever, whatever it is, and you see something you don't agree with, or, or something you dislike, and you feel like you have to say something, there isn't an option of, well, you don't have to respond. And maybe that's just me uh, as an Enneagram 8. For those of you that are into Enneagrams, I'm like, I have to stick up for injustice. I'm typing this. And so when she says, you don't have to do that, that hit me some kind of way. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But I did it anyways, and I typed it in, and I sent it, uh, and it created a little bit uh, of a storm. Now, maybe you can resonate with this, or, or maybe you can't, but I think at the, at the crux of it, we've all experienced the heart of the matter, that we live in a culture where from a very young age, all of us We were taught that winning and proving that you're right and proving something of yourself and exerting some kind of dominance and maybe not in such a domineering way, but but, but some kind of dominance uh, to, to prove our rightness or how correct we are and how incorrect someone else is. It's part of our human condition. It's something that we were taught from the beginning to continually do. I mean, just imagine, like, think of moments when we are attacked in some, in some way, when, when, especially with words. When we're attacked with words, what we're supposed to do is we attack back. When somebody gossips about you, what we're supposed to do is we gossip back. When somebody disagrees with us, we must prove why we are right. When somebody hurts you, and this is, I, th- I think many of us are good at this. When somebody hurts us, especially with words, we, we seem to know, the, especially with loved ones, we seem to know exactly what to say to get under their skin. Because we have to win. We have to fight back. This tends to be this universal condition. But what makes matters worse, and in the midst of all of that, especially for us as followers of Jesus, the Bible says, again, you should exude the fruit of the Spirit, which includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's this word gentleness that I think many of us have a hard time with. Yes, we can, we can go down the list and say, well, I'm okay at this, I'm good at this, but there's something about gentleness that we all fail to do sometimes. It's some of the hardest things to do, even myself. And not only does Paul say this in Galatians, in the fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, uh, this is when I don't become gentle, is there's only one fruit, okay? In the original language, I'm kind of nerding out here, there's one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, fruit of the Spirit that embodies all these different attributes. And gentleness is one of them. 
But not only does Paul talk about gentleness, but Jesus talks about gentleness, as we read in Matthew 5, 5. Uh, blessed, are those, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Because the word Greek, uh, the word, the word je, uh, meek in the original language in the New Testament is this word prouse. And prouse, the word for meek in Matthew 5, 5, is the exact same word that Paul uses when he says, you should be gentle, gentleness, you should exude gentleness. It's the same exact word, just in the English, after all those different translations, one calls it gentleness and one calls it meek. And, and so Jesus is essentially saying, blessed are those who are gentle, for they will inherit the earth. For the blessed are they. Now, when you exude gentleness, when you are meek, Jesus is saying that's when you are blessed. That's when you are blessed. It's this word mercurios. It's a Greek word, not just meaning happy or you'll, you'll feel good or you'll feel great for the time. This idea of blessed is this word shalom that's, old, that's translated from the Old Testament, that we, that we experience wholeness and fulfillment, and we experience the life that God has created us to live. And if you want to live the life that God has called you to live, we must be meek. We must be gentle towards others, even when the world is not gentle to us. Can you believe that? The audacity of Jesus. Did you see, Jesus, what they said about me, what they did to me? Did you see the, the nonsense they posted on social media? Did you see how they hurt me, how they lied to me, how they gossiped about me, how they, you know, turned their backs on me? I mean, for many of us, all of us, we can probably name an experience, and maybe it's triggering something you, in you right now where, where someone has hurt you in a deep and profound way. And yet, not only does Paul say this, but Jesus says, in the midst of all that, you must be gentle. And that is when you experience the fullness of life. Be gentle. Now, a lot of us, men and women, and I would say just stereotypically and societally, particularly men, have been conditioned to believe that gentle is bad. Gentleness equals weakness. Gentleness doesn't get you far. Gentleness is something actually you want to avoid, especially in a position of leadership. And so the opposite is often taught, that, that if you want something, you must exert dominance, power, grit. Right? We've all heard these sayings. If you want something done, you've got to do it yourself. You know, you can't be a pushover. You can't be a doormat. You, you know, you just have to, you know, grab the bull by the horn or whatever the saying goes and, and do that. You can't be gentle. Gentle is something to be avoided. And I remember this is something that was taught even for me at a very young age. I might be dating myself a little bit, but I remember in high school and college, uh, the movie in Christian subculture, uh, and there is a such thing, uh, was this movie called Braveheart. If you remember, Bra I love Braveheart, by the way. It's a great, great movie. But, I, I, you know, every pastor at the time always taught about this movie Braveheart and what it looked like to be brave and courageous. And, and it wasn't about gentleness. It wasn't about 
the, the, what they would claim the more softer side of faith. But you had to be like this guy named William Wallace. Especially, you know, we'd go to these men's groups and these guys' things. And if you want to be a man, I'm just sharing my experience. If you want to be a man, then you have to be like this guy named William Wallace from Braveheart. And everyone knows, you know, the famous speech where, you know, he goes up, you know, he's leading the, the Scottish army and, and he's going to invade and, and go to battle with, with, the, with the English. And, and he says, I don't quite remember everything, but he says something about they may, t- you know, they, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom, right? And then, you know, they take out their swords and everyone's going. And, and you know, I was taught that is actually what it means to, to be a man. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, wow, that's really scary Come to think of it. That's what it means to be brave and courageous. And, and yet, then we look at the scripture where Jesus says, well, as a matter of fact, it's about being poor in spirit. It's about mourning and grieving. It's about giving to others. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about being gentle, not about power, not about influence, not about wealth, not about intellect. And this idea was nothing new. We see this even not only in our lives today, but also throughout Scripture. So you see, in the first century, uh, in, in ancient Palestine, there was a common belief, again, what we experience today. There was a belief that in order to experience life, in order to be happy, in order to be whole, in order to just experience the best kind of life, you have to exert power, influence, wealth, intellect. <clears throat> and it sounds very familiar to us today. The Roman Empire during the first century, during the times of time of Jesus exemplified all of this, power, influence, wealth, and intellect. They exerted their dominance over every other nation, particularly the Jewish people, under the reign of Caesar. The Romans treated the Jews as second-class citizens. They taxed them unfairly. They violently attacked them, especially if they were seen as a threat to the empire. And they did this in most humiliating ways. Now, given these circumstances, the Jews held tightly to their Bible, the the, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, which speaks, and all throughout the the Old Testament, which speaks of a Messiah that will return and save them. They believed their hero would come as a powerful political figure or a military soldier. You can imagine the mindset of the ancient Jews, especially in the first century. All throughout history, the Jews have been persecuted. Again, I've been treated like second-class citizens, especially, again, in Jesus' time against the Roman Empire, where they, in evil ways, just dominated the nations. Well, they dominated Israel. And, of course, when you feel so dominated, when you feel so weak and so disempowered, you want revenge, you want vindication. And so when they interpret the Bible where it says there will be a Messiah that will save you, there will be salvation. And remember, back then, we, they didn't understand salvation or to be saved like the way we do. When we talk about, oh, you've you got to be a Christian to, in order to be saved, you'll receive salvation. And we automatically assume that, oh, that means when you die, you're going to go to heaven. 
right, and live happily ever after. And, and I'm not mocking that. That is absolutely true. That is the promise we have in Christ, that we have eternal life. But most of the time when the Bible talks about salvation and being saved, it's literally being saved from the oppression and the violence and the hurt and the evil ways of their oppressor. And so when the Bible says, especially during this time, uh, all over, okay, ancient Jews, don't you worry. There will be a Messiah. There will be a Savior to save you from the persecution. And, And what they envisioned, which was common throughout the first century and really even today, is that, well, we have to fight power with power. And so the mindset that the ancient Jews had is that they would fight back and even in violent ways to reestablish the kingdom of God. And they believed wholeheartedly that one day our Savior will actually come back on a horse or as a political, political figure, as a powerful person, to overthrow the empire, to violently seek revenge, and to, again, vindicate Israel, to finally have Israel, the ancient Jews, to be in power and have control. It was all about power. It was all about greed. It was all about violence. And yet it's in this backdrop. Can you believe that? It's in this backdrop Jesus says, well, wait a minute. I know what, I see what's happening. There's violence here. You want to be violent back because that's what we're supposed to do. But let me offer a different way. And Jesus says, the actually, if you want to be blessed, aka if you want the, the wholeness of life, if you want to be out of this violence, if you want to be out of this particular oppression, if you want to be out and experience the goodness of life, it's actually not with violence. It's actually not by fighting back. It's not with power. It's not with uh, exerting dominance. It's actually by practicing gentleness. Gentleness. And again, when we think about this idea of gentleness or the word meek is what Jesus used, we might immediately think of weakness or being quiet or being a pushover or unassertive. And, and again, as an Enneagram aid, if that's the case, I don't want anything to do with it. But a closer look would tell us that these are just mere caricatures of the word. The Greek word, again, for meek or gentleness is praus. praus. And actually, Jesus describes himself As gentle, in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, and many of us have heard this verse before, all that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Again, same word, prouse. I am prouse and humble. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And if you know Jesus, he was no pushover, nor was he weak, nor was he unassertive. You see, the word praus was originally used uh, to describe a war horse. See, here's, here's what would happen, is that during battle, uh, the militaries, ancient militaries would find uh, stray horses, untrained, wild horses, and, and they would bring them in and, and train them. And under oftentimes months and even years of proper training, they would no longer be wild animals, wild horses. They would be tamed. They would still have the power. They would still have the strength. But because of their training, because of the way that they were 
taught because of uh, the training that they received uh, in, in times of war, in terms of battle. Once they became, once they had proper training and, and under training, they were then considered prouse, gentle, meek. And so oftentimes when biblical scholars want to define meek or gentleness, they define it as uh, power under control or strength under control. Meekness is not weak at all. As a matter of fact, it's strength. It's power. Like a, like a horse that received training, severe in, in, in a ton of training to go into battle. Because you see, once a wild horse receives all the training for months, for weeks, and then when they go to, bat, when they go to war, when they actually go to battle, they have their spears and their arrows and they're under high stress and they're in the midst of crossfires. And yet in the midst of battle, they're able to just become cool and collected because of the training that they receive. They didn't go buck wild. They didn't run away. They didn't, you know, go off pure emotions. They didn't, you know, respond to everything that was attacking them because of the proper training that the war horses experienced that when they actually and finally went into battle, they knew exactly what to do. They stayed calm. They did what they were trained to do. And for many of us, that is the calling of our lives. It's not to be so responsive. It's not so to react. It's not to be highly emotional, although all those things are not, are not bad in and of itself. But Jesus is calling us to be like warhorse, to be cool, calm, and collected, not because we don't have any emotions, but because we're being guided by the Spirit. And all the training that we've done, being guided by God, we're using that, that when we do go into battle, whatever that means, and whenever there's arrows and whenever there's words or whenever there's harm that's thrown at us, we don't just respond like a, like a wild, you know, stray horse, but we respond as if we, as if we were trained as if we have received guidance from God, from the Spirit, as if we've been so in tune with the Spirit of God, we too are cool, calm, and collected. Because the truth is to fight back with violence with violence, that's, that's easy. To hurl back insults after you received insults, that, that's, that's easy. To fight, to prove your point that's easy to prove that you're the smartest in the room, you know, to attempt that. That's easy to make sure that you have the last word in every conflict. That's easy. But do you know what's hard? Not perpetuating the cycle of violence and hate. Fighting the urge to be right. Fighting the temptation to comment on that last post that you adamantly disagree with to keep our mouths closed and to simply listen. That's hard. To say that I'm sorry, that's painfully hard. Maybe I'm projecting. To ask for forgiveness, that's hard. These are the things that are actually hard. Not, not to fight back with violence with violence, with insults with insults. That's easy to do. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are meek, that are like these War horses that stay under control because we have been taught, we have been guided, we have been informed by the Spirit of God. 
Now that's, that takes work. That's not easy. And so anytime when someone says, well, gentleness, that's not good. Well, as a matter of fact, gentle is the, mo- the more challenging thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. It's easy not to be gentle. We just be responsive or reactive. And as a war horse is obedient to its trainer, as a war horse has experienced training by the trainer, we too are to be obedient to Christ. We too are to live in such a way that we have been informed and trained by Christ. And Jesus doesn't just teach us, and I love this about Jesus. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He shows it. He shows what it means and what it looks like to be gentle. I love these examples. In John 8, when the Jewish leaders uh, in high emotions, they, they bring this woman who is caught in adultery, brings, brings her over uh, to trap Jesus and says, Jesus, she's an adulterer, and we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, you know, cast, you know, uh, throw stones because that adultery was punishable by death. And, and I can just imagine that there were, the situation was intense, and there was high anxiety. Like, Jesus, what should we do? And you, maybe it was me, I would stand up and say, well, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. You, you know, like whatever it is. But Jesus, it says that he was just writing in the sand. And even though there's just so much intensity and so much anxiety here, Jesus was portraying, exemplifying like a non-anxious presence. He was like, I, would, I mean, I don't know. It didn't say this, but I would imagine Jesus stops writing in the sand. No one really knows what Jesus was writing. And it does say he slowly stands up. And I'm making this up. He kind of takes a deep breath and he says, hey, okay, calm down. It's going to be okay. But whoever does not have any sins in their lives, you can cast the first stone. (sighs) Deep breath. And I love this. And then he slowly goes back to what he was doing. And starts writing in the sand as if that never happened. And slowly, they start walking away because clearly, they've all sinned. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus was about to be arrested by his disciples and, uh, you know, to be crucified. And this is something I kind of resonate with Peter. His buddy is like, no. You know, he steps in, draws his sword, and he cuts off the soldier, the Roman soldier's ears for trying to mess with his friend. Like, you want to arrest my friend? You want to arrest Jesus? Well, you got to get to me first. Takes out the sword, cuts his ear, apparently just clean off. And I love Jesus' response. He says in these exact words in the Bible, no more of this. Stop it. In a calm way, even though he's about to be arrested. Calm, cool, collected. Non-anxious presence. I'm imagining this too. Picks up his ear and says, boom, you're healed. And it goes on being arrested. Jesus exemplifies what it looks like to be gentle. Easily in John chapter 8, Jesus being like, yeah, you're right, let's do this. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus could easily have been like, yeah, I'm going to snap my finger and, and I'm not going to, the, the bad things aren't going to happen to me. But no, Jesus had to do what Jesus had to do under his training. 
and they were being guided by the spirits. And when arrows were flown at him, he wasn't bobbing and weaving. He did exactly what he was trained to do. In the last example, I love this. It's in John chapter 2. Uh, Jesus sees that there's people defiling the temple. And we all kind of know the story, that, that they're defiling the temple, the sacred and holy place. And, and Jesus comes and runs up and, and has like this whip, and he's like just taking every, you know, pushing everybody out because they're defiling by being money changers, by gambling, by selling things. And that was a defilement of the temple. And so Jesus is kicking down tables and, and just saying, get out of here with this whip. And, and, all, and, and when you read that, it almost sounds like, wow, Jesus, calm down. You're getting buck wild here. It's almost like you're not being gentle. It's almost like you're not doing what you're trained to do. But the, the, the part that we miss, and I love this part, and we miss it. In John chapter 2, it says, before he did that, when he saw all the defilement of the temple, he goes back and he starts making a whip with cords. Now, when he was making the whip, I'm sure it probably took a long time. It probably took hours. It's not like he just automatically responded, oh my gosh, I'm so angry, I'm going to go over there and just, you know, kick him out. He was thinking about it the whole time. He knew what he was doing. He knew that there was injustice. And and, and I love that verse because he probably took his time. It probably took a long time. And I love that because that in itself tells us that gentleness, being meek, this word prowess doesn't mean just to be a doormat. It doesn't mean that you can't speak up. As a matter of fact, if we follow the, the life of Jesus, we should speak up when we see injustice, when we see violence, when we see hurt. We should tell the truth because sometimes telling the truth is more loving. And when we practice gentleness, Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Inheritance is given, right? Inheritance is always giving, given, and land always represents fulfillment and joy and completion. When they lost the land due to exile, the ancient Jews, and a piece of them was missing. When they lost the land to the Roman occupation, a piece of them were missing. And Jesus says, when you practice gentleness, when you practice just being guided by the Spirit, like a horse practices what what that horse was trained to do by their master, like that horse, may we treat others, may we love, may we live our lives in the way that God has called us to live. And like a horse in, in our lives, there will be arrows thrown at us. There will be battles that we experience. There will be hurts that happens by the hands of others to us. And really, we do that to others as well. There will be words that are painful. There will be things that you disagree with. There will be people that you disagree with, especially in this highly divisive world. In the, in the last year and a half, there's been so much division and so much polarization and so much anger and so much, so much even violence. And we are living in a wild world. Just last week, I saw a, a literal, a physical altercation at Safeway. 
because people are so angry. I've seen grown adults shout at each other over masks and their opinions on COVID or whatever it is. These are grown adults in public just shouting at each other. I've seen families break up literally through the last election. I've seen families disown one another. I've seen friendships completely severed. I've seen best friends turn into enemies. Uh, I've seen this. I've experienced some of these myself. And in this such painful times, may we do things different. When the world says to fight back, when when ancient uh, Israel was under oppression, the common mantra of the day is to always fight back, vindicate yourself, seek revenge, be right, exert dominance. And and really today is no different. We have that same message even today. You got to win, you got to exert dominance. But yet Jesus is saying, wait a minute, be gentle, be kind, be loving. Be forgiving. Fighting back, that's easy. Don't do the easy thing. That's easy. Avoid the easy. Do what's hard. Which is living the way of Jesus. Seeking forgiveness. Forgiving, extending forgiveness. Being the first one to apologize. To love one another. To use words that edify and to build up. To be curious about and having questions rather than attacking and having accusations. As Richard Dahlstrom, senior pastor of Bethany, my pastor, my friend, he always has this term that says, stay medium. Just stay medium. You don't got to respond so intently. You don't have to, you know, respond to everything that you dislike. Just, just stay medium. And when we do that, we experience a softened heart, not just with others, but with ourselves. We watch our relationships change. We find peace in our souls. I mean, we see how this impacts our relationships. And I'll just end with this. I'll invite the worship team back up as we end in a time of reflection and worship. But we, but we see this. Oftentimes when I disagree with somebody or have conflict with somebody and maybe you do this too before I approach them I know exactly what I'm going to say I know how this is going to play out if someone upsets me uh, upsets me I know exactly what I'm going to say and, and I even have counterpoints before I even approach that person like okay if they say this then I'm going to rebuttal and I'm going to say this but if they say this and I'm going to say that in order to rebuttal in order to to win in order to exert dominance in order to win this argument and to prove my point and I give myself a pep talk and I say let's go I'm going to do this and then soon as I Tell this person exactly what I was thinking I'm expecting different scenarios to play out and that person says you're right. I'm sorry about that. And suddenly, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what? We're supposed to go back and forth. We're supposed to do this cycle of words and exchanging and proving to one another who's right and who's wrong, but you're not supposed to say I'm sorry. But as soon as they do, as soon as they practice gentleness, oftentimes it's my heart that changes. And maybe in our lives right now, there's someone that we just need to practice gentleness with.
Maybe it's a group of people, and I don't know who it is. And maybe the prayer this morning is that, God, would you show me who I need to be more gentle with? And God, would you give me the strength to do it? God, help me to be gentle with this person. Help me to do what you have taught me to do. Help me to be guided by your spirit like a horse being guided by their master. Help me not to go off on my own. Maybe that's our prayer today. The ultimate example of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on the cross. May we live embodying that kind of sacrificial, that obedient to Christ, that faithful life. And I promise you the relationships in your life will change, will look different. Defensiveness will go down. Curiosity will take over. Listening becomes something we want to do. May we practice that, starting today with especially those that it's hardest to do with. Let's pray. God, we pray a dangerous prayer right now. God, would you show me, will you tell me by name the very people that I need to practice gentleness towards? Not just be a doormat, not just be a pushover, but gentleness the way you define it. A way where we don't just respond, where we're not so harsh because of our emotions, where we lose control, but we stay in the conversation, we do the hard work of relationship, and we move the way you move, we love the way you love. We speak like, like the way you spoke. We see others, no matter who they are, no matter even if we call them enemies, we see them as the way you see them. Imago Dei, those that are created in your image. May we have that type of gentleness towards others. May we do it differently than the world. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's continue our last song in worship.